0: Welcome to the Rick Reed sermon podcast. Rick serves as the president of Heritage College and Seminary, where he has the joy of preaching God's word and training the next generation of preachers. The sermons on this podcast are taken from Dr. Reed's preaching ministry in churches, conferences, and at chapel services at Heritage. A few summers ago, I read a, a book that was actually a spiritual journal uh, of a man who lived about one and a half centuries ago. And when I was reading it, his uh, honesty just gripped me, actually. Although he had uh, sacrificed his life and his family's uh, life, really, uh, their, all of their security to serve the, the Lord with all of their lives. Um, And although he had lived years and years of dangerous, really dangerous missionary service, he came to a point in his life that maybe some would term the dark night of the soul. In the past, he had faced uh, some unbelievable family tragedies and he had faced them with courage. But now in his life, he actually hit rock bottom spiritually. And the guilt... The guilt of the sinful baggage that he carried in his heart, uh, it just condemned him. In fact, it so condemned him that he fell into a deep depression. This is how he described his life in his journal. Listen to this. He wrote, Every day, almost every hour, the consciousness of sin oppressed me. Every day brought its register of sin and failure. Of lack of power. To will was indeed present with me. But how to perform I found not. Listen to what he says. I hated myself. I hated my sin. And
1: yet I gained no strength against it.
0: I felt I was a child of God. His spirit in my heart would cry in spite of all, Abba, Father, But to rise to my privileges as a child, I was utterly powerless. Does that sound familiar to you? Do you remember what the Apostle Paul wrote in uh, the book of Romans, chapter 7, and uh, verse 18? That same reality was gnawing away at this this man. The, The words that the Apostle Paul said, I know nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature, for I have a desire To carry it out. Or I have a desire to do what is good. But I cannot carry it out. Well we know this man as uh, Hudson Taylor. One of the most famous missionaries uh, to China. In fact his biography has actually inspired probably more people. To leave their careers and go to the mission field. Than any other missionary biography that was ever written. And yet his spiritual journal tells what was going on inside of his heart after years into his missionary venture.
1: The Apostle Paul could
0: relate Hudson Taylor's struggle. I can relate to Hudson Taylor's struggle. And I know that every single person in here who calls himself a Christian, who is a child of God, can relate to the same struggle. You see, sometimes... The voices of condemnation over the sinful baggage in our lives, the sinful luggage, sometimes those voices of condemnation are just so loud, and God just seems so distant. As we heard this morning, there are voices actually that come from ourselves. Self-condemnation. There are voices that come from people around us. And then there's the very voice of Satan himself. Now, later on uh, tonight, we'll hear the truth, uh, how God used the truth in Hudson Taylor's life that was revealed to him just in a few words and a letter that actually a friend sent him. Uh, We'll hear that a little later on tonight, but right now I want to ask you this question What do you do
1: when you feel condemned? What do you do when you feel condemned?
0: What do you do when you hear those accusing words? I heard of one pastor who had uh, secretly fallen. And he was living such a life of shame that one Sunday night, uh, outside his church building, he sat in his car, watching his congregation go into the church. While he held a gun to his head. Now the gun never fired, praise the Lord. And he eventually found freedom. I know that because I read his story in a Discipleship magazine. But tonight we're going to answer that question. What do you do when you feel condemned? And if you're a child of God and if you've received salvation, if you've personally believed with your heart and you've confessed Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, then the Bible actually teaches us what to do with our weak-kneed feelings of condemnation. In fact, God inspired the author of Hebrews to give clear instructions to his children when they face feelings of condemnation. And before we turn to our passages of Scripture tonight, I'd like just to invite uh, all of you to join me in praying, ask God for help as we turn to his word. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this opportunity that we have to come before your throne, Lord, we thank you that we have your word to us in our hands. And I would just pray that you would speak to us by your Holy Spirit, Lord, through your word. And Father, that we will not leave here without being deeply challenged in our hearts from you. We ask for your help in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like you to take your Bibles, if you would, and uh, turn with me uh, to the New Testament. New Testament uh, to the book of Hebrews. Book of Hebrews, and we're going to read uh, chapter 4, verses 12 through 16.
1: It says, For the word of God
0: is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. And therefore, since we have such a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. In this passage of scripture, we actually learn three things. Three things that you, if you're a Christian, need to do when you feel condemned. And you know, the first thing that I'm going to share with you has the potential for short-term pain. And that is to allow God's word to expose your soul. Allow God's word to expose your soul. Now, why, why would we do that to ourselves? Why would we allow God's word to, to cut us like that? You see, the word of God, the Holy Bible, is not just words on a page, is it? Like other man inspired books. No, it isn't any ordinary book, it is God's word. God's word is alive. You see that in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, it says that the word of God is living and active. Sharper than any double edged sword, it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. You could say that in the hands of the Holy Spirit, the Word of God is like the most skillful surgeon's scalpel that cuts deep, penetrating, cutting deep, exposing the hidden tumors of the soul. You know, the Bible actually speaks of entire generations. Entire generations that really didn't have the word of God. It had been lost. And yet when copies of scripture were found by these these generations in the Old Testament, people who truly listened to what it had to say, these people wept. They wept over their sin as they were convicted. In fact, uh, do you remember our study of uh, the book of Nehemiah last year, for those of you who are with us? We looked at the book of Nehemiah. And do you remember in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 9, when, when Ezra, uh, the scribe, brought out the first five books of the law and, and he started publicly reading them to the people? Do you remember what they did? It says, all the people had been weeping as they heard and as they listened to the words of the law. They'd been weeping. Nehemiah and the Levites twice had to tell the people uh, not to grieve. It was a day of rejoicing. In fact, many years earlier in 2 Kings chapter 22, verse 11, the high priest Hilkiah, he found some of the same books of the scriptures in the abandoned temple of the Lord, and he brought them out. And uh, his, his, uh, the secretary of the, of the castle, or of the, the kingdom, shifan came out and he brought them to King Josiah. And he read them to King Josiah. And you know what the Bible says? King Josiah just tore his robes in anguish and grief when he heard the
1: word of God. But wait a second.
0: I thought that actually that we heard this morning that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that's right. That's absolutely right. But do you remember also what Pastor Rick this morning said that God's goal In our justification is our what? Our sanctification. No condemnation for sin doesn't mean no conviction for sin. God is going to convict us of sin because He wants us to become free from it. And as we learn that no condemnation doesn't mean no correction for sin, it doesn't mean no
1: consequences for sin. I've had that experience of God's word exposing
0: my soul. Have you? I'm sure you have. I, you know, this is something that I encourage you to do. Maybe you do this. I often, when I open the Bible in the morning to read it, I often ask God to speak to me through his word, by his Holy Spirit. So when I read it, it's God speaking to me. And you know, often they are words of comfort. But also often they are words of deep conviction as well. Sometimes they're words that pierce and cut deep. Sometimes the pain
1: actually brings tears into my eyes. Are tears a
0: good thing? Well, they are if they are tears of repentance. Leading us to Jesus Christ and not just self-pity. Jesus said in uh, Matthew chapter 5 verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they will inherit the kingdom of God. Of heaven. Expositor D.A. Carson says that the poor in spirit here means those who realize that they are spiritually bankrupt. There are people who humble themselves before God and his word. Jesus goes on to say in the next verse, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be, what? Comforted. And I believe that the mourning here talks about when we realize how spiritually bankrupt we are without Jesus Christ without his spirit helping us. In fact, the book of James continues on with this theme. Here in uh, James chapter 4, verse 7, he says, uh, Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. And then James adds these startling words. He says, Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord. And he will lift you up. He will lift you up. Now this actually goes against a lot of our pop psychology, doesn't it? It goes, it goes against uh, some of our self-help teaching that we find in the world. In fact, uh, self-help books will encourage us, uh, tell us to ignore any feelings of spiritual inadequacy. And yet sitting under the authority of God's word takes humility It takes readiness to allow him to penetrate our lives and the truth about our sin. It takes us humbling ourselves before the Lord. As Pastor Rick said this morning, it it actually causes us to own our own luggage. To own our own luggage. And God's word exposes our soul. You know, often the truth brings grief and shame. And as we're going to learn tonight, it's what we do with those feelings of shame, that's important. Here's the distinction. Please hear me on this tonight. We can allow our hearts to be convicted, but if we are saved, if we have a relationship with Jesus Christ, if we've placed our faith in him as our Lord and Savior, listen to this, we cannot allow our hearts to be condemned. In the book of Matthew, this is kind of interesting, I when I realized this, maybe you, some of you have realized this already, but at the, at the end of the book of Matthew, the end of uh, chapter 26 and the beginning of chapter 27, we actually have two disciples who back to back had denied Christ. And both of them were filled with absolute remorse when they had
1: realized what they had done.
0: Peter. Peter. Who denied Christ three times? He went outside and what did he do? When he realized what he had done, what did he do? He went outside and it says he wept bitterly. When he was reminded of Jesus' promise, or Jesus actually warning when he gave a promise that he would never deny Christ just a few hours earlier. And then in the very next chapter, Judas. Just a few verses later, when he saw that Jesus had been condemned, it says he actually returned to the chief priests and the elders, and he confessed, I have sinned, for I have betrayed innocent blood.
1: Peter's shame
0: of his sin led him back to Jesus Christ, where he, in repentance, declared his love to Jesus three times.
1: Judas's shame His self-condemnation led him outside to a cliff
0: where he went and committed suicide. What was the difference? What was the difference? The Apostle Paul describes it this way. He wrote this verse, Second uh, Corinthians chapter 7, verses 10 and 11. "Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret." But worldly sorrow brings death. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you. What earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. At every point you have proved yourselves to be innocent in this matter. You see the difference there between godly sorrow and worldly sorrow. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation, that leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. Worldly sorrow is actually selfish and leads to self-pity. Godly sorrow causes us to humble ourselves before God, allowing him to lift us up. Worldly sorrow is prideful. It causes us to feel sorry for ourselves. I just wanted to make uh, one aside here, which is I just wanted to, to digress just for a moment. And uh, just uh, clarify something. Once in a while, we struggle with guilt
1: that is not based on sin. And that's what we call false
0: guilt. Now, this guilt is based on life circumstances, uh, circumstances that are beyond our control. And in, this, in these situations as well, we need to actually evaluate our guilt in light of what God says in His Word. Here's an example. I have a friend who is actually driving at night when all of a sudden a young man bicycled right in front of him. He had no time to put on his brakes and hit him and instantly killed him. And the guilt that comes in a situation like that to a motorist or a a parent who loses his or her child in, in a horrific accident, often that brings false guilt which the truth of God still has to heal. Even the false guilt must be exposed to the penetrating light of God's word. And those are not the feelings of guilt that I'm actually speaking of tonight, so I don't want to confuse that. Tonight I'm speaking about the guilt and the shame that comes from our sinfulness, which is exposed by God's word. You need to allow God's word to expose your soul, which means, what does that mean? What does that mean? It means spending time in God's word absolutely every day. Reading it. Praying over it. Allowing God to speak to you through it. And that's where we start. And yes, when God shines the light of, uh, the light of his word and his truth onto our life, our, our soul is really exposed for what it really is. And sometimes, sometimes we grieve over that. And like I said earlier, grieving is okay if it leads us to Jesus, as it did with Peter. But sometimes we allow voices of condemnation to come into our hearts and into our minds. Sometimes we feel like we've lost hope. And now the author of Hebrews directs you and I to the only person who can give us hope when we feel condemned. You see, when you and I feel exposed laid bare before the most righteous, holy God to whom you must give account. When you're tempted to feel overcome by feelings of condemnation, the author of Hebrews directs us to accept God's Son as the perfect mediator for your life. He has that role as your perfect mediator. Let's take a look at that uh, in the next couple of verses there. Verse 14, Hebrews chapter 4. Listen to this. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Isn't that amazing? Do you see that? Now, to understand the role of the high priest in the Old Testament... Uh, and that the author of Hebrews is alluding to here, we turn to Leviticus chapter 16, verses 15 and 17. And uh, here's the passage of scripture that kind of explains the role of the high priest. He shall then slaughter the goat for the sin offering for the people and take its blood behind the curtain and do with it as he did with the bull's blood. He shall sprinkle it on the atonement cover and on front of it. No one is to be in the tent of meeting from the time Aaron goes in to make atonement in the most high place until he comes out, having made atonement for himself, his household, and the whole community of Israel. This is speaking of the day of atonement. When the high priest, he would enter the most holy place, which was uh, one third of the tabernacle, behind the curtain, And he would make a sacrifice of an animal that would pay the death penalty for himself, for his family, and for the sins of the nations. You see, under the old covenant, before Jesus came, those from the nation of Israel, God's holy chosen people, who had sinned, they had to bring in a perfect animal to their priest. This priest served as a mediator between God and man. And it was, such, it was such a sacred time, and yet it was a scary time for the Israelites. In fact, they, as you read in that passage of Scripture, they could not enter the most holy place. They couldn't even enter the tabernacle during this time. If things didn't go well, and God uh, didn't accept the sacrifice, the high priest might die. And you know what they actually did? They actually used to tie bells on the fringes, of the uh, high priest's garment, they would tie a rope around his ankle and they'd leave it out uh, outside the tabernacle. And if they actually uh, stopped hearing those bells ringing, they're in trouble. And what would they do? They would take that rope and they would pull out the lifeless body of the, of the high priest. That's how serious this was. That's under the old covenant. And now under the new covenant, the author of Hebrews teaches us that Jesus Christ is our great high priest. But unlike the yearly sacrifice that the high priest had to make it under the old covenant, his sacrifice was a perfect, sinless sacrifice. Perfect, absolutely. It was the all-time one sacrifice for all sins, for all humanity. It was a sacrifice that all the sacrifices of the Old Testament pointed towards. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 11 to 15 explains this to us. If you'll take your Bibles and just turn a few pages over to Hebrews chapter 9, verses 11 to 15. Kind of explains it in more detail here. When Christ came as high priest of the good things that are already here, he went through the greater And more perfect tabernacle, that is, not man-made, that is to say, not a part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean, sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. The Apostle Paul repeated this truth in 1st Timothy chapter 2 verses 5 and 6. 1st Timothy chapter 2 verses 5 and 6. It says, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all men, the testimony given in its proper time. And this, my friends, is the best news for God's children. Because even when our hearts feel condemned, we hang on to faith, believing that Jesus, who is the Son of God, declared as the creator in Hebrews chapter 1, who went through the heavens, he made it all the way to the throne of God, who is now our high priest in the heavenly sanctuary. And Jesus is not only perfectly qualified as our mediator, but he also knows the temptation that we face, and he can truly sympathize with our weakness as human beings. He is able to understand us. He is able to come alongside of us to help us when we feel condemned. Wait a second, Pastor Daniel, I can just hear you' saying this right now. Wait a second, Pastor Daniel, even if he was tempted in every way we are, but the Bible says that Jesus didn't sin. So how can he understand the temptation that I face? How could he understand it? That's a really good question. I was in a Bible college class, and I think that question came up to our professor of the book of Hebrews. And uh, he gave us a really neat illustration that's always stuck with me. He said, imagine if we're like a stick, a twig that is brittle, it's dead, it's Fallen off the tree a long time ago. And we're like the stick that when temptation from the world and the flesh and the devil come against us, and we're not filled with the Holy Spirit of Christ, and it's bent, it snaps pretty quickly, doesn't it? It just snaps. But he said Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit perfectly, was like that twig that was right off the tree. And as the temptation came on him, he did not snap. And the temptation grew worse and worse and worse and worse. And still he did not snap. Who experienced, it? Who experienced more temptation? Me or Jesus? Jesus is what we go through. He experienced far worse temptation than we will ever experience in our lives. One thing I would also ask is this question.
1: Did Jesus ever hear accusing, condemning voices?
0: Does he know what it's like to hear the voice of an accuser? Absolutely, didn't he? From the Pharisees and ultimately the crowds, the mobs that that yelled at him, crucify him. He was accused of some of the worst crimes of the Jewish nation. Blaspheming against God and blaspheming against the temple. He, this perfect, spotless one, knows what it's like to hear condemning voices, doesn't he? Even though
1: he was sinless. And he knows what we're going through.
0: And he has the power to help us. Well, after we've allowed the word of God to expose our soul, we're reminded in scripture that we do have someone, the only one who can help us, an advocate A
1: mediator, God the Son.
0: And this is why the author of Hebrews concludes with this third instruction. Well, actually, it's more than an instruction, it's more like an invitation. And this invitation is to approach God's throne with confidence, to receive mercy, and to find grace. In our time of need. And that's the invitation. Let's take a look at that verse with me. Chapter 4 of Hebrews, verse 16. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And do you notice that it actually uses the term us there? Let us approach the throne. Do you know what that tells us? That tells us, that little word tells us that mediation of an earthly priest is no longer needed. It's been done away with. In view of what we just learned of our great high priest, there are no more barriers to the throne of grace.
1: Jesus stands at the throne of God,
0: beckoning for us to approach. The throne of grace. And you notice it actually says that we're to approach the throne of grace with confidence. Not with timidity. It doesn't mean that we come quaking in our boots or groveling before God. Or feel that there's anything that we could possibly do to appease a holy God. Jesus has already done it all. He's already done it all.
1: And that's how much God loves you. He sent his own son. That's how much he loved
0: you. Who in perfect obedience to his father, listened to the things that Jesus did in perfect obedience to his father. He endured the cross as a sacrifice for our sins. He suffered the wrath of God against the sin of humanity. He paid the price of our sins. He paid the ransom himself. He went through the heavens To the earthly or to the heavenly sanctuary. And he is standing before God. God's throne. And he's beckoning us to approach the throne of grace. My friends, that's the best news ever. That's the greatest news ever. Pastor Rick mentioned this morning that there's actually someone else standing at the throne too. His name is Satan. He's the fallen archangel who already stands condemned And he knows that he has very little time left. And I know that this seems odd that he would actually be granted access to the throne of God. But even Satan is on a leash. Even Satan has to report to God. The Bible says that he takes great joy in pointing out the sins of God's people. Job chapter 1 says he roams through the earth going back and forth. And then he goes and accuses people before God. Revelation chapter 12, verse 10 says, he's called the accuser of the brethren who accuses them before God day and night. He's relentless. He does not give up. That's how much he hates God's children. And yet, even with him standing there, accusing us, we can approach the throne with confidence. Why is that? Because Jesus is standing there. Jesus is standing there. We sometimes hear Satan's voice, don't we? Ridiculing us. Shooting arrows of doubt into our hearts. Saying, look at what you did. Look at what you did. God must not love you anymore. He says to God, you're not going to let him get away with it, are you? You're not going to let her get away with it, are you? Look, God.
1: He broke your own law. Look,
0: she broke your own law. And you, you stand condemned. You stand condemned. And the words ring in our ears. Have you heard it?
1: I've heard it. And then you look to Jesus, who's standing there and he's beckoning you to the throne. Daniel, Steve, Mary,
0: don't listen to him. Don't listen to him. I paid the price. I already paid the price. I know you intimately.
1: I understand your weakness.
0: I know what it means to stand accused. Yes, you sinned. Yes, you exposed. You feel exposed before the creator who is infinitely
1: holy. But Daniel, my
0: father loves you. I love you. He sent me, God sent me to pay the ransom. I took your place. I paid the penalty for your sin. I took your condemnation.
1: Come. Come before the throne to receive mercy and to find grace in your time of need. And so we come. And so
0: we come. And Jesus helps us because he's our great high priest in whom we have confidence. His power as the son of God and his crossing the heavens before us point to his power to help us. Hebrews commentator Leon Morris writes this. He says, we need mercy because we have failed so often. And we need grace because service awaits us in which we need God's help. And we do receive mercy. And we do find grace to help us in our time of need. We don't get what we deserve. Instead, we get his blessing and his favor, the favor of God that we didn't even earn. Why?
1: Because he loves us more than we could ever imagine. And you know what happens as a result? You know, don't we? Don't you?
0: We worship, we glorify God. We magnify him for his greatness and for his love towards us. Our mourning over sin turns into songs of praise. Our hearts overflow with joy. We write praise hymns and we write spiritual songs and we sing and we sing and we sing.
1: I wanted to actually end
0: the story of what happened to Hudson Taylor. You see, his journal is entitled, The Spiritual Secret of Hudson Taylor. Something incredible happened. At the height of his self-hatred,
1: one line from a letter that was sent
0: from his homeland came to him and stood out. And this is right from his journal. He writes, when my agony of soul was at its height, a sentence in a letter from Dear McCarthy, was used to remove the scales from my eyes and the spirit of God revealed the truth of our oneness with Jesus as i would never known it before. That's what happens, doesn't it? The spirit of God helps us. McCarthy, who had been much exercised by the same sense of failure, but saw the light before I did, wrote, I quote from memory, but how to get faith strengthened, not by striving after faith, but resting on the faithful one. You know, his entire life changed instantly as a result of what the Holy Spirit did at that moment when he read that sentence. Everything that he'd already learned about Jesus Christ all came together at once. Who Jesus was in his life, what Jesus had done for him. And you know what? He had worked hard as a missionary, but his entire life changed. He was filled with unexpressible joy. Shortly after this time, his wife actually passed away. And even in this time of earthly sorrow, he wrote how he even more had to lean on Jesus. He wrote, and now I have to tell him all my sorrows and difficulties, as I used to tell dear Maria, and she cannot join me in intercession to rest, to rest in the knowledge of Jesus' intercession. To walk a little less by feeling, a little less by sight, a little more by faith. The whole journal changes from that point on. It's about two-thirds through the journal that you actually read this statement. And then his entire rest of his journal changes completely. He does not write as a man who feels condemned. He is filled with the Holy Spirit. The rest of his life, he does not feel like he needs to strive. Does he become sinless? Absolutely not. But he realizes that he is not a man that stands condemned. And it's really, really interesting. The rest of his journal actually talks mostly about Jesus, mostly about what the Holy Spirit is doing in his life, what Jesus has done for him, and what he is doing for him. And as I close tonight,
1: I'd just like to ask you a question. We've heard a lot of amazing things today, both this morning through God's word this evening. This is an important question. Do you believe what you've heard today? Do you believe it?
0: Do you really believe it that if you have received Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your savior that you're no longer condemned? Do you believe that Jesus Christ paid the penalty? has gone through the heavens, who is standing at the throne of God, interceding as your mediator before God, the Holy Father. Do you believe that on this basis, that you can approach the throne of grace with confidence?
1: Because if you really do
0: believe it, if you really believe that brothers and sisters in Christ, you should be the most joyful courageous people on the face of the planet. And let me just say this, if this truth becomes internalized in all of us, if we truly believe it, when we wake up in the morning, our heart should be singing and it will be singing as we approach the throne of grace with confidence.
1: We will become the most joyful people in the world. Let's uh, close in a word of prayer. And then I'll ask
0: Randy to come back up. No? Father, I just thank you so much uh, for this message, Lord, that you've given us through your word. It's such great news. Lord, I just pray that you will help us overcome our unbelief. Lord, that we will not listen to those words of accusation. Yes, that we'll be convicted by your word, but Lord, that that conviction will bring us to the cross, will bring us to what you did for us. The price that you paid. And Lord, may it bring us to your throne with confidence that we we can receive mercy, Lord, that we can find grace in our time of need. And I just want to say thanks, Lord. Thanks for speaking to us tonight. And I just pray, Lord, that we will go out of this place, Lord, after today, changed,
1: encouraged, filled with your joy.
0: I pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. For more information on Heritage College and Seminary, visit the school's website at discoverheritage.ca. To stay connected with the Reeds, visit their website at rickandlindareed.com.